Because faith comes through hearing the message of Christ, this sermon has been uploaded for you by Grace Unlimited, a ministry that functions out of Living Hope Church, Pretoria, South Africa. We want Jesus Christ to have first place in everything in our church. And we want to help you know and follow Jesus in all of life and to help others do the same. Find out more or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za. Spurgeon, we all know, was a man of conviction. And one of his convictions was that he says, My own soul's conviction is that prayer is the grandest power in the entire universe. That it has more omnipotent force than electricity, attraction, gravitation, or any other of those secret forces which men have called by name, but which they do not understand. I wonder if that is how you think about prayer. Do you share that same conviction? Because today we're going to talk some more about prayer, and I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles again to the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 2. 1 Timothy, chapter 2. And we're looking at the section about prayer that pleases God. And we'll see that the God who rules and reigns over this world wants us to pray for the world. And today we want to know what confidence do we have that our prayers for the lost and all these people can actually achieve something? Or another way to ask this question is, what do we believe about God that makes us so confident that as we pray for the lost, people can be saved? And you know there are millions and millions of people who go about every day without knowing Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. People who are clinging to a false hope that everything is going to be okay when they die. Or perhaps those living in constant fear, not knowing what will happen when they die. And as believers, we recognize that we used to be one of them. And as we slow down and think about all these people, people we work with, the people we live with, even family, people we spend time with, some of our friends, people we worship with, those who or in the church, but they are not truly believers. Our neighbors, those who we see every day in our communities, those who govern and rule our cities. What about those in the countries you used to call home? We recognize that as we study this section in Timothy, that God desires that all men should be saved. And as a church, we need to pray for all kinds of people. That is the heart of this section. And... We are reminded that this includes people that who turn to other false gods. You think of Islam and Hinduism. You think of other pagan religions. You think of those who look for intercession through the saints, through Mary or their ancestors. Those in the remote villages and the darkest places of this earth. 
those who persecute us and make our lives difficult. God wants all men to be saved. And you would agree with me that it is especially when someone passes away, someone that we know, that as believers we sometimes wonder, did they know Jesus in a true saving way? That would bring them into His presence for all eternity. But unfortunately, sometimes we are burdened with uncertainty. Not sure what their relationship with Jesus was really like. Here we have the sense of hope that maybe somehow they did find Christ and turn to Him for salvation. And as Christians, that hope comes from somewhere. It is because we read and study passages like we did last week, and we see that we serve a big God that has a true heart for the lost. And as we pray like this as a church, we should have that same heart. And as we consider what we pray for, we recognize that prayer is really one of those personal faith-building tools that the Lord has given us to grow in our relationship with Him. It is the grandest power in the entire universe, Spurgeon said. And last week we saw that the church is to make prayer a priority for the, for the lost. We should make that a priority because praying is one of the most important things we can do. And we saw that God wants us to pray for who? We said it, all men. No one is excluded. All kinds of people. Interceding for them before God through Jesus Christ for the salvation of their souls. Which means that the prayers of the church for the nations drives our mission forward. Which is to make the gospel known to all. And as we pray for all men, Paul highlighted the importance of praying for our leaders. We've been doing that. Because they have a direct impact on the way the church is able to go about reaching the lost. So that we can live peaceful and gospel we proclaim. You see, our godly lives as God's people in the church have this inward dimension of holiness and continual growth and change as we look to Jesus. But not only do we recognize the inward change, this gospel change in our lives has to have an outward orientation, an outward direction. The way we live for Jesus starts to impact those around us. Where the behavior of God's people is able to win the respect of outsiders because of the way we relate to them including the way we relate to our leaders, living lives that are pleasing to God. And so we know in the Old Testament that people would offer sacrifices to God as a means to obtain forgiveness of sin and to get to a place where God would be pleased with them. But we, today we don't do that. Instead, in a sense, we offer our prayers to God. Prayers that are pleasing to God. Clinging to Jesus and the great sacrifice He made on our behalf. Knowing that Jesus paid it all. We sang about it. And He continues to intercede for us. And as we pray with gospel confidence, we line up our hearts with the heart of God, cultivating a heart for the lost. And because God is the Savior of all men, as this text clearly teaches, it means He is the source of salvation. He is the architect of salvation. And everyone is invited. The only God who saves invites everyone to receive Him as Lord. And He includes us, the church, Christians, in this great plan of salvation, giving the church the privilege and the responsibility to not only pray for the lost, but to proclaim their truth to the lost. So that others might come to the knowledge of the truth. The church prays with gospel confidence, knowing that God can save anyone, anywhere. And that is what we're going to look at today. 
we will look at the theological foundation of our prayers. That makes us confident that as we pray for all men, because what we believe about God has a direct impact on how we pray for the lost. Let me say that again. What we believe about God has a direct impact on how we pray for the lost. As one man says, As a general rule, prayer that is pleasing to God comes from the soundest theology. Whenever God is approached on the basis of His plan, His work, His character, He will hear and answer. And so last week we looked at verses 1-4 to of 1 Timothy chapter 2. And today we will look at verses 5-7. to And we will see that once we recognize the theology that shapes our prayers for the lost, it drives us to proclaim this theology, this good news to the lost. Because once we recognize to whom we pray, it makes us want to share Him with those who don't know Him. So open up your Bibles and we'll read this section together again. 1 Timothy chapter 2, and I'll read from verse 1. Paul writes, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Verse 5. For, and this is a big four, for there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Verse 7. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. And so think about every time you go to God and you pray. What makes you confident as you pray? What truth drives you to the throne of grace with confidence? And what then do you actually pray for? Because here's what I want you to see today. I want you to see that we can pray with gospel confidence knowing that God desires all men to be saved because of firstly who God is. Who God is. The only God and mediator between God and man. Verse 5. Secondly, we'll see that what God has done. Given His life as a ransom for all. Verse 6. And then thirdly, what we are called to do in response. Which is to make Him known to all. Verse 7. And so, looking at our prayer life right now, and maybe even over this last week, we might recognize that it reveals something in our hearts. I know that it did in mine. We need a bigger view of God and the gospel if we are to have this growing burden for the lost. And as a church, we are going to continue to make this a priority to pray for the lost and for those in authority because this is what God wants us to do. It is good and pleasing to Him. Now Paul, you know, wanted Timothy Timothy to fix many things at the church in Ephesus. And it's really sad when people believe and act in a way that shows they think that the gospel is only for certain people. And the way we interact with people around us and the way we pray, honestly, might indicate something similar. And not only does Paul tell Timothy that one way to fix that is to change the way you pray, but look at what you believe about God as you pray. And so as Christians, we pray for everyone. Why? Because God wants everyone to be saved. And today we're going to see that because Christ is the Savior for everyone, the gospel is to be preached to everyone. And we as a church 
We can pray with gospel confidence, knowing that God desires all men to be saved, number one, because of who God is. Verse 5, who God is. Paul says, for there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. So this four is like saying, let me give you some reasons, some theological reasons that we pray for all men. And we want to see everyone to come to the knowledge of the truth. And the first thing Paul highlights is about the nature of God, who God is. And specifically, he starts by saying that there is only one God. Now that might not sound very shocking to you, because you believe this as a Christian. But you have to think about the context. There are all these people in the world, but there's only one God. Paul actually started the letter with something very similar back in chapter 1 verse 17. He says, To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. We are to pray for everyone because there is one God for everyone and one mediator for everyone. So let me just say that again. We are to pray for everyone because we believe as Christians there is one God for everyone and one mediator for everyone. This is foundational truth to the Christian faith. Now remember that the church in Ephesus at this time, they were functioning in this environment where pagan, unbelieving people were worshipping false gods and idols. You have those in the church also who think the gospel is only for certain people. And so Paul is telling Timothy that they need to pray for all. And the first theological gospel-centered truth they need to remember and understand that gives them confidence as they pray is that there is only one God. Now, if you know your Bible, this is not surprising, because you, you see this all over in the Old and New Testament. Let me just give you a few examples. In Deuteronomy 6 verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This section in Deuteronomy is known as the Shema, something the Jews would constantly repeat in their time of worship. Stressing the unity of the triune God. And then in Isaiah 44 verse 6, God says, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. And then similarly to the Ephesians, Paul wrote himself, saying in Ephesians 4 6, There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. What about if we go all the way to the end? Revelation 1.8 Where God says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now that's a lot of exclusive language here. And if we think about the global scale of what our prayers should be looking like, we recognize that we still live in a very similar day and age than what was going on in Ephesus. Where people worship their own idols which directly hinders their understanding of God. Or those who pray to the God of their preference and culture, because then and now, people say, well, perhaps there is one God, but there is more than one way to be saved. And the objection from the world and the nations then is, why should the one God not save people in different ways? Some through Hinduism, or Buddhism, others through Judaism or Islam, whatever other cult or belief there is. It's like when you interact with people around you and you point them to Jesus as God and the only way to be saved, they will say, well, maybe He is for you, but He's not for me. Thinking and believing that there are many roads that lead to God and ultimately to heaven. And perhaps 
When people say stuff like that, you are tempted to get offended. But instead of being offended, be on your knees. But if, think with me, if there are many gods and many ways of salvation, then there's no need for us to pray for all men, right? There's no need for evangelism. We instead just get comfortable with our neighbors and be polite and try to love them as you would yourself, right? Because that's what the Bible says we should do. Love your neighbors as yourself, right? And perhaps that's the attitude of many believers who neglect to pray for the lost. We have a small view of the gospel and then ultimately a small view of God. But when you come to the knowledge of the truth, the truth about who God really is and what He has done, you recognize there is only one God, and this one God is only accessible through His Son, Jesus Christ. And since there is only one God, there can only be one Gospel. The church is to pray for all men, because apart from the Gospel, there is no other way for anyone to be saved. So not only do we pray confidently to the one and only God of salvation, but we can pray confidently because we as believers, we have access to Him through the God-man, Jesus Christ. So who is God? Verse 5 says, He is the only God. And then the rest of the verse says, And there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. So just as there is one God, there is one mediator between us, between us and God. We can pray confidently because we know and believe and understand that Jesus Christ intercedes for us as we intercede for the lost. Every time you pray, Jesus is part of that prayer. But before we dive deeper into Jesus as our mediator, just listen to what Jesus Himself was praying for just before He went to the cross. This is John chapter 17. Turn there in your Bibles if you can. John chapter 17 And we'll look at the first couple of verses there. This is what it says. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given Him authority over all flesh. To give eternal life to all whom you have given Him. And this is eternal life. That they know you. Who? The only true God. And Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And so it's the same theology that we need to pray and believe. And then verses 9 to 11, look at what Jesus says. I am praying for them. Who are the them here? This is the disciples, the believers. And then look down at what the rest of the verse 9 says. Jesus says, I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. So whilst Jesus was with His disciples and believers on earth, He was praying for them that God, the Father, would keep them and guard them as He is about to go and die for them. But do you notice He says, I am not praying for the world. Jesus says He's not praying for the world. Rather, He is praying for the success of His disciples in the world. He's not praying for the success of the world because that world, the devil and its wicked evil system that operates with all its idols and false gods are against Him. He's praying for the disciples to succeed in winning the world and not for the world to succeed in stopping them. And so Jesus is praying 
knowing that he's about to go and die on a cross and he wants to do this work through his disciples. And that is you if you're a believer. He wants to see all men reached through his followers. That he would indeed reach the last. And now in our text of 1 Timothy, we are exhorted to continue with that work of praying for the world, for all men. Knowing that Jesus wants us to succeed in reaching all men as He intercedes for us. We are to pray for the lost because God wants you to reach the lost through the way you pray. And through the way you share the truth. And this should make us confident. Why? Because we have Jesus as the only mediator who intercedes for us before the Father as we pray for the lost. It's pretty amazing. Because one of the last things Jesus does before He dies is what? He's actually praying. He's praying. And what does He pray for? He's praying that we, His followers, would be successful in continuing this work. And now after His resurrection, He continues to intercede for us as we pray for the lost. And so you can see that we are, when we are praying like this, we are praying in line with the heart of Jesus. The one who did all the hard work of going to the cross who loves the sinful world and messed up world so much that he was willing to die for it. As one man writes, Christ's heart is a steady reality flowing through time. It isn't as if his heart was beating with passion for people when he was on earth, but it continues to do so now that he is in heaven. But what exactly is intercession? And what is a mediator? And why do we need one? A mediator, as many of you know, is this go-between person. Someone that is the middleman between two parties. And even as we consider the history of the Bible, we see people trying to access God directly, trying to understand how that all works. You think of Job. Job as he's reasoning out his own situation and his communication with God. And let me read for you from Job 9 verse 32. This is what he says. He says, For he, talking about God, is not a man as I am, that I might answer him, that we should come to trial together. There is no arbiter or mediator between us who might lay his hand on both of us. Let him take his rod away from me and let not dread of him terrify me. Then I would speak without fear of him, for I am not so in myself. The reason we need a mediator, this middleman that connects us with God, It's because of our sin. God is too holy for us. And Job was struggling with this issue as well. And the arbiter or the mediator, this middleman that Job was looking for, we know him. His name is Jesus. Because Jesus is the God-man who bridges the gap between the Creator and the creature. And so intercession is when the mediator comes between these two parties, us and God, and makes a case to one on behalf of the other. So have this picture in your mind. Think about what Job was struggling with. And think about what this looks like now. Because you have this person in the middle who with his one hand holds the holy hand of God. And with the other hand, he holds the sinful hand of man. Creating this direct line of communication between a holy God and sinful people. Interceding for them, the one before the other. I mean, this mediator, Jesus, Scripture tells us, is unique. There's no one like Him. We know, we believe that He's 100% God because, and because He's 100% God, He's able to meet the standards of God. The standards of holiness that we do not have. 
But Paul also emphasizes that he is the mediator, the man, Jesus Christ. Did you see that in verse 5? Paul is wanting to stress the fact that Jesus is not only fully God, but also fully man. And because he is fully man, he is able to meet our obligations. The reason Jesus is the only sufficient mediator for all is because he is the only one who has the divine nature and human nature. Not the angels, not Mary, not the ancestors, because none of those options are divine. So if someone wants to reach God, they have to go through this one divine human person, Jesus, the mediator. And this should comfort us as we pray in confidence, because Christians, you know this mediator. This man that is able to represent and to reconcile both man and God. Why? Because he has the most intimate knowledge and sympathy with both parties. And as a member of the Trinity, he has communion with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And as a member of the human race, he has union with us. Being able to sympathize with us, knowing our every burden. And he says, bring them all to me. So we can't have an excuse that no one understands what we are going through. Because Jesus knows exactly what you are going through. Hebrews 4 says, we have a high priest and this mediator who sympathizes with us in our weaknesses. Knowing our every heart as we come to Him in prayer. He knows what we feel like when we want to give up. But it's because He never gave up. He never gave up. He went all the way through so many trials and tribulations, even death, never giving up. But He's able to sympathize with you. It's like when my wife and I went biking last year, there's this serious hill uh, that if you come at the end of our route, closer to our house, and I went up the hill and uh, it was tough. It's a tough hill. And I actually got to the top without stopping. And my wife right behind me, she was so close to the top and she wanted to get off and start to push the bike. And I was saying to her, keep going. The worst is behind you. I also wanted to give up, but you are almost there. You will make it. Just keep going. But it's hard to keep going if you don't know where the end is. But if someone is able to help you see how close you are, you are motivated to keep going. And Jesus understands exactly what you are going through right now. This work of the mediator is one that the book of Hebrews points out again and again. In chapter 7, verse 25 and 26, he writes this, the author. He says, Consequently, He, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. What Jesus is doing right now is, as we pray for all the things on our hearts and as we pray for the nations, He's interceding for us before the Father. And in this text, Hebrews says, He's able to save to the uttermost, to the maximum. Because as we continue to deal with our sins, the sins that keep us from coming to God in confidence, Jesus, the God-man, says that you can draw near with confidence because what I did on the cross and through my resurrection is still applicable to you right now. If you truly believe in me, what I did 2,000 years ago still means that you are completely forgiven today as the day when you first believed. And as a church, knowing that we are completely forgiven 
all of our sins and shame drives us to our knees to pray for others so they can be completely forgiven as well. This work of Jesus as our mediator that intercedes for us is so important to understand. It shapes the way we pray with confidence. It avoids us to think that salvation was just this event that happened in the past. But rather it reminds us about what Christ is doing right now. He's allowing us to come to Him in confidence. Not praying in our own strength, but praying big prayers like these for the nations because we have a perfect mediator between us and God. God didn't leave us to pray for all these people by ourselves. He is actively involved in that process, in you and through you, as you pray. And so as we pray together as a church family, that's true as well. And the gospel keeps on shaping how we pray, because not only do we see uh, who God is, and why that's important, we need to remember what He has done. Verse 6, another reason we pray with gospel confidence is because of what God has done. Verse 6 says, Who gave Himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Paul's moving from describing who God is and what, to what He has done. And this is where his overall argument has been going. Follow along. He says, The church prays for everyone because there is one God for everyone. A God who wants everyone to be saved. And because there is one mediator for everyone, we need to recognize that this one mediator is the only Savior for everyone. And because He, this one mediator, gave His life as a ransom for all. So there's one God, one gospel, one mediator, who is the only Savior of all. And this is the foundational theology of our prayer life. Now there are a few significant aspects to this truth, that Jesus gave Himself as a ransom for all. And first we recognize that He gave Himself. He gave Himself. This giving of Himself clearly speaks then of His sacrificial nature of His death on the cross. It's as if God is saying, pray for all people because I gave my life for all people. And so we should not minimize and limit the power and the extent of what Jesus did on the cross. You remember Jesus Himself, He said, John 10 verse 18, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. And so we see the the love of God in this passage. The love that reminds us of how He gave Himself for me. But not just for me. For the world. For the lost. And specifically, He gave His life as a ransom for all. And this word ransom is really full of gospel truth. This is a rich term that we find in the Bible. And you might be familiar with the idea of paying a ransom. You know, when say a child is maybe kidnapped and the parents have to pay money to get them back. And this term antilotron in the Greek is actually a loaded word. Because in this context of First Timothy, it's the more loaded version of this word ransom. Where it's not just that you pay a price for someone else and you get them free. But here it is. But you actually give up your own life and take their place so that they can go free. And we know this is what Jesus did as He died on the cross. We know that this is exactly what He was doing. Making this exchange. He took your place and my place and the place of those who would put their trust in, in, in Him. Who would turn from their sins. So that He could die. And so that we can live. 
It was a payment made to satisfy the justice of God. And the reason Jesus could pay this price is because of what we just said. He is the only mediator that qualifies. He had to be God as well as man in order to pay the ransom. One man writes it, he puts it, he puts it well. He says, salvation could not have been done unless man paid what was owing to God for sin. But the debt was so great that while man alone owed it, only God could pay it. So that the same person must be both man and God. Thus, it was necessary for God to take manhood into the unity of His person. So that He who in His own nature ought to pay and could not pay, should be in a person who could. This is what Jesus did. He paid the price that only man could owe and only God could pay. And he made this payment at the right time. Do you see it? Paul writes, which is the testimony given at the proper time? We look back and see that as we look at this right time, Jesus died on the cross to demonstrate his love for a dying sinful world. And it's helpful for us to think of our relationship with Christ and what God has done in your life that motivates us with gospel confidence and here it is, with gospel love to pray for other people. I love this quote from Spurgeon again. He says, When a prisoner has been taken captive and has been made a slave, it has been usual before he could be set free that a ransom price should be paid down. Now, by the fall of Adam... We were by the irreproachable judgment of God given up to the vengeance of the law. We were given into the hands of justice. Justice claimed us to be bond slaves forever. Unless, unless what? Unless we could pay a ransom whereby our souls could be redeemed. But we were bankrupt debtors. We had sold everything we had and we could not find this ransom. It was just then that Christ stepped in. And in the stead of all believers, paid the ransom price that we might, in that hour, that very hour, that we believe, be delivered from the curse of the law and the vengeance of God and gone away. How? Clean, free, justified by His blood. What good news that gives us confidence as we pray as free, justified sinners in the presence of God. And church, this should cause us to praise God for His mercy. When Jesus paid for our sins, He knew exactly what He was paying for. And He knew exactly to whom He was paying it for. And we know that at the right time, He did pay it. He paid it for you. He paid it for me. He paid it for all who would put their trust in this unique Savior. This unique mediator between God and man. Maybe helpful if I give an illustration of what this means by calling Jesus a ransom for all men. By doing that, it's something like calling your doctor the only doctor in town. Maybe in a small town, he is the only doctor there is. And when you see him on the other side of the road, when you pass him, it's like, oh, that's my doctor. That doesn't mean you are going to him for treatment in that moment. Whether or not he turns out to be your doctor depends on whether or not you get sick, right? And whether you are willing to go to him when you do get sick. But he's still the town doctor. Now Jesus is like this town doctor. He is the savior of the world and he's accessible to everyone. He has promised to save anyone who would come to him in faith and repentance. Whether you go to him for salvation or not, depends on whether you actually realize you are sick with sin 
and that you need to be saved. And not just realizing you have a problem, but whether you are willing to go to Him when you do realize your need to be rescued. And here's the thing. Whether you go to Him or not, He is still the Savior of the world who gave His life as a ransom for all. So let me just ask you now. Have you come to see your need for the Savior? And if you have, what are you going to do about it? Because Jesus says, come to Him. He says, bring me all your sin and all your shame and I will take it upon me. The invitation is for all men to turn from their idol worship and turn to the only God and mediator because His desire is that all kinds of people should be saved. And so we see thus far that the gospel shapes the way we pray, recognizing that there is only one God and one mediator between us and God. And this mediator who died so that we might live, who gave His life as a ransom for all, and so we pray for all. But not only do we pray for all, Verse 7 says, there's an implication. This gospel praying should be doing something. Number 3, what we are called to do in response. Verse 7, Paul writes, For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. And I believe what Paul is implying here is that as we pray for all people, we preach the gospel to all people. Where we're praying leads to action. If anyone had any doubts what Paul was talking about, he's going to make it even more clear. Because as Christ is the ransom for all men, this leads naturally to the church's mission to all nations, Gentiles as well as Jews. Because he says, for this. For what? For this mission of reaching all people. I was appointed a preacher, he says. And we know that he got his commission directly from Jesus when he was converted on the Damascus Road in Acts 9. And his calling meant that he had the authority of someone that was set apart by God himself, an apostle. And even though he had this calling and authority, there were obviously those who doubted this authority. Hence, he says in brackets there, I am telling the truth, I am not lying. But the emphasis here is again on all people. When God called Paul to witness to all men, he made him a missionary to the Gentiles, so that all people everywhere, including you and me, could hear the gospel. And so think about it. Jesus prayed about it. Paul responded and preached about it. So that you and I can be saved. The salvation that was first given to the Jews is now extended through the, this world through the way we pray. Because there's one God, one Savior, and one ransom for everyone. Therefore the gospel is to be proclaimed to everyone. Now John Stott It's helpful when he summarizes this well and he says, It is the unity of God and the uniqueness of Christ which demands the gospel to go to all. God desires and Christ's death concerns all people. Therefore, the church's duty concerns all people too, reaching out to them both in prayer and in urgent witness. And notice that Paul says he was called to be a, a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. And to be a preacher of the truth is to be a herald. You might have heard this word before, a herald. And a herald, as you might know, is someone that makes an announcement that someone important is coming. Think of those movies where you see the guy blowing his trumpet and then making this big announcement as the king is about to enter the room. Paul says he is to be a preacher that announces 
the coming of the true King, who points all people to the one true God for all men, who teaches people from the Scriptures how lost they are in their sin and how Jesus stepped in at the right time to pay the ransom for his with His own life. So they can be free and live a life that honors God. So they can look at suffering and death with the hope of the Gospel. So that people can pray knowing that God is for them no matter what their history looks like. Praying knowing that Jesus prayed for them to be successful in reaching the lost. Paul did it truly and faithfully and so should we. Does the gospel make your heart beat for the lost? Because the more we pray the gospel, the more we want to share the gospel. To pray only for ourselves is to deny the worldwide outreach and mission of the cross and of Jesus Christ. To ignore lost souls is to ignore the cross of Jesus Christ. And so we pray for all because Christ died for all. And it is God's will that all be saved. And as the church, we must respond to this and give ourselves to God in prayer for the nations, for our leaders, for our families, for our friends, for that, for that boss that is so impossible, and then proclaim the truth to them. To be part of this worldwide salvation plan to reach people before Jesus comes back. In fact, in Second Timothy, the letter Paul wrote to Timothy, the second one, in chapter 1 verse 8, he says, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel, how? By the power of God. It goes on to say in verse 12, being so convinced of his calling and the power of the gospel, he says, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Are you this confident about the gospel as you pray? This is the reason why we don't share the gospel with others, perhaps because we are not praying for them. The more we pray for the lost, the more we want to love the lost and share the truth with them. How intimately do you know the one in whom you have believed? If God looks at your prayer life right now, what does it reveal about what you believe about Him? Are we convinced, like Paul, that God is able to guard the gospel until that day? And then do we recognize the importance of the fact that as a church, the church, we have been entrusted with the good news of eternal life. And God is calling us to pray the gospel, proclaim the gospel, and to live the gospel. A gospel that says there is only one God. A gospel that says there is only one mediator. A mediator that knows exactly what you're going through who is interceding for us before the Father, constantly applying the atoning work He has accomplished for us on the cross. The gospel that says that we pray to God who gave His life as a ransom for all. A gospel that shows us how much we are loved and forgiven in Christ. Not because of how good we pray or not because of how good we seek to proclaim the truth, only because of how good He is. If we're going to reach the nations, if we're going to raise up missionaries and send them out, if we're going to live in gospel community groups and impact those around us, then the Word of God says we need to pray for all men to be reached, pray in the confidence of the gospel, the theological foundation of the gospel. 
Because this is prayer that is pleasing to God. And this prayer that will open our eyes to the needs of those around us, causing us to proclaim the truth to all men. Let's do that now and let's go to God and pray together. Father God, we thank you for this day that we could slow down and see your heart one more time. This is a heart that loves sinners. Jesus, we do not come to the Father by ourselves. We come in your name and into your presence as our mediator, the great God-man who intercedes for us. We believe there is only one God. We believe there is only one mediator for all men. And we believe that this God-man gave his life as a ransom for all. And so, Father, the gospel shapes everything about us. The way we think. As we see here today, the way we pray. And as that motivates us to go and seek the lost. And share this wonderful truth. The truth about who you are with them. We want them to know you. And so, Father, help us as a church this year. We are praying for so many things right now. And the reason we can be so confident is because, Christ, we know you are for us. You are so for us that you died for us. And Father, if there's sin and stuff that hinders us from coming to you with confidence, help us to put that to death. So that we can live in your presence with gospel confidence. Not being justified by anything we do, but only because of what you've done. Father, thank you that you have such a burden for the lost that It's because of your gospel going everywhere through men like Paul and others that we can even pray like this today. That we could obtain salvation. Indeed, you are a merciful God. People are dying. People are hurting. People are lost. People are believing that they can get to you through so many other means. They can believe in the God that they want. But Father, we know you. You've revealed Yourself to us in Your Word, by Your grace, through Your Spirit. And this makes us confident. Confident as we go to pray and to proclaim that Christ, You are for us and You are with us. And this is why we are here. Save people even this week. Save people through our prayers. Save people through our proclamation. So that You can be honored and glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, church. Good to be with you. May the Lord bless you as you go to God in prayer, confidently, because of the gospel. God bless you.